0: Isaiah chapter 9. We'll read uh, verses 1 through 7 this morning. Uh, We've considered uh, the background to this passage back in chapters 7 and 8. Uh, We've considered the great light that is to come in and through Jesus Christ as we covered verses 9 through the first part of 6. Today we uh, cover... Another section of verse 6, and then next Lord's Day, those names of wonderful, consular, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's hear then God's word as it's breathed out to us this morning. And there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time... He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Consular, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thus far the reading of God's word. I invite you to keep it open as we consider that word this morning. Let's again bow in prayer. Father, once again we thank you. We thank you that we can open the word, that we have the freedom to be here. We are allowed to get here. We had the transportation, the good health. And we thank you that we could come and share together the story of Jesus Christ, the promise that you've given us. We thank you for the salvation. We thank you for the plan. We thank you for our, our pastor who proclaimed the word to us, who may ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we want to consider this morning out of verse 6 are, are these two phrases. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and then... And the government shall be upon his shoulder. So we'll consider it under those two points. First of all, the coming of a son. And secondly, the coming of the king. Now we've dealt into this, the first part, the child shall come, uh, in, in previous messages. But to kind of wrap that up this morning uh, in, in a short way, but then to spend the bulk of our time on this coming of the king. But first of all, it's necessary for us just to pause and again understand what these words mean. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. First of all, it's the reminder that this son, this son that is being spoken of here, is the son of promise that came to us all the way back in Genesis chapter 3.15. That this seed of the woman who is going to come and to deal with the serpent. That the seed of the woman who is going to come and undo the curse that has come upon this world because of man's fall into sin. That is who the Lord through the Spirit is having Isaiah write about here. For to us a son is given. That son. We're we're still not there yet. Isaiah is still prophesying, but he's prophesying about what it's going to be like when that son comes. It's not there. Isaiah is still hundreds of years before Jesus Christ is going to be born in Bethlehem. That event is still to happen. But it's almost as if the Lord is coming to his people and saying, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. And particularly at this time, Isaiah's day, when this threat is before them, when it feels like they're going to be crushed by the nations and go out of existence, God comes and he says, I haven't forgotten. Oh, I know the evil seems so strong. I know those powerful nations. But trust me, trust me, the sun is coming. The son of promise. And that son is going to come and he is going to crush Satan and the work of Satan. That, first of all, we have to see in those words. This is Genesis 3.15 reiterated. Secondly, we have to understand that when we hear these words, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, these are the fulfillment of the promise that God made not only in Genesis 3:15 but the promises he made to Abraham that promise in Genesis chapter 12 that that somehow or another through Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed that promise that God reiterates in Genesis 15:4 again in Genesis 17:16 and again in Genesis 22 verse 18 the promise that Abraham would have a son. And you know the whole story of Abraham, right? First of all, he has no children. There is none. And he's like, am I supposed to give this to to my servant? God comes and he says, no, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Abraham takes things in his own hands, takes Hagar, has a son by her, Ishmael. God comes again and says, Abraham, you don't get it. You don't get it. It's Sarah. She's going to have the child. And that child will be the one that will be the blessing to all nations. Yes, we're talking about Isaac. But God is looking beyond that. He is seeing, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So here comes Isaiah in the midst of Judah's problems, saying God hasn't forgotten his his promise back there in the garden. He hasn't forgotten the promise to Abraham. Nor has he forgotten the promise to Judah. He hasn't forgotten you. Now, the people living at that time and shortly thereafter might have thought that when Isaiah prophesies, for us a child is born, to us a son is given, let's go forward 50 years from this, from this prophecy. Let's skip forward 50 years and what do we have? Well, we've got a king. Judah didn't succumb. Judah didn't get overswept. Ahaz, the evil king, is long out of the way. But he has a son. And the son of Ahaz is a man by the name of Hezekiah. One of the bright stars in the kings of Judah. The the guy is, is a tremendous leader. He's still a person, so he still has sins. He still has failings. But as far as do the people of Judah look at this and go, hey, it's Hezekiah. Because he's a good king. Maybe he's the fulfillment of 9-6. You know what? They didn't. They didn't. Even though they probably could have. They understood this was further along. This is one of those interesting passages that you can sit down with a Jewish person of the Jewish faith and say, who is Isaiah 9, 6 about? Who are we talking about when we talk about, for to us a child is born? And you know the answer you're going to get from them? It's about the Messiah. And you can go, absolutely. You got it. You nailed it. It is about the Messiah. Even the Jewish people understand that Isaiah 9, 6 is fulfilled in the Messiah. The only problem is they're still looking. They're still looking for him. But we know he's already come. We know that's the joy of Bethlehem. Is that the one who is the Messiah has come. So when we read these words, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, this isn't just about some baby. Oh, how cute. We got a message of a baby being born like we had from Ashton this morning. It's much deeper than that. It's much richer than that. It it goes all the way back to, to the garden. It goes back to Abraham. And it goes back to the understanding that this is the Messiah. This is the one who is going to save. This is the child of salvation. But well, what do we learn about that child? Point two, it's about a king. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Let's think about this a minute. What does that mean? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. First of all, we have to understand that there were other promises that God made, covenant promises, right? These are all about God's covenant promises to his people. Well, he made one to David as well. And to David, he made the promise, one of your descendants shall always be king. One of your descendants, one of your offspring shall be king forever and ever and ever. That's who's being talked about in this phrase. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That that king that's going to come from David's line. That king that that prophet after prophet after prophet has talked about. Moses, Genesis 49. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Numbers 24. Out of the mouth of of the the pagan prophet Balaam. Stars shall arise out of Judah. Judah. Zechariah 9.9 9, Behold your king comes to you humble and riding a donkey the prophecy of Micah chapter 5.2 But you Bethlehem Ephrathah though you are least amongst the tribes of Judah out of you shall come one who will lead my people who will shepherd my people who will be a king for my people so it's all about this being a king That's what that phrase is. And you say, how is that about being a king? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, I have a confession for you, right? My confession is this. I don't know where I got it. I don't know where it come from. I don't know if it was was just a phrase out of a sermon when I was a little kid that that I misconstrued like, uh, you know, he shall make you Wyatt Earp, Right? whiter than snow you know kids you hear strange things I don't know if I if I misheard it if I was sleeping part way through and I didn't catch it but I always thought that phrase and the government shall be upon his shoulder I always thought that was the cross I thought that phrase was about the government Rome, Pilate, placing the cross upon his shoulder and he's weighed down by that cross and he's lugging that cross through Jerusalem. Oh, for this child is given, but the government shall be upon his shoulder. But you know what? That isn't what that phrase means. Let me give you a whole new picture and the government. Oh, th- that we probably have right. That we understand. But not the government of Rome. Not the government of a human, human element. That government stands for rule. It's, that word stands for dominion. It stands for an empire. It stands for authority. But not the authority and power of this world. Not the Psalm 2 kind of powers. Not the rule of a a communist leader in China. Not the rule of some caliphate in, in Iran. Not the rule even of a president or a governor of this nation or of prime ministers and others or of kings and queens that rule and reign. This is the government of the kingdom of heaven. This is the rule of God. And the rule, the power, the authority of God himself. Over the last several weeks as as we went through those attributes of God and as we've gone through the Westminster Confession, hopefully one of the things that that is striking you and and you you think about is, is how great God is, how majestic God is and the authority and the rule of God over all things, that is to be upon the shoulders of this child. That is what is upon the shoulders of this son. But now what what does it mean, shall be upon his shoulders? Well, if I were to bring in This morning, a five star general, and I were to show you his uniform, where would his five stars be? Anita, you're doing it, so I might as well ask you. Yeah, they're on his shoulders, right? That's where they place them. That's the sign, that's the signal. The signet of that authority. He wears them upon his shoulders. Remember, some of you perhaps can think about, uh, uh, maybe it shows up clearer when you think of somebody in the United States Navy, right? And on their shoulders, they carry those those bars across here. A sign of their authority. Or, Or let me give you another example. Okay, let's take it out of the military. Let's put it into academia okay, you're going to graduate from college, okay, and you're in this big procession, and the first people who come down the aisle are all the professors, right, and they got all their finery on, and what do they have across their necks? They have those various colored, uh, what would we call them, vestments, right, and those vestments signify the fact they're a doctor of philosophy, they're a doctor of law. They're a doctor of medicine. They're a doctor of uh, history, right? They're a doctor. They, they have rule and authority. They, they supposedly know their stuff, so they're given this thing to wear around their necks. Think of, think of a picture, okay, of a Roman emperor, right? What do they have draped across their shoulders, Generally, they have that that red vestment, burgundy. It's the rule. It's the sign that they are the ruler. They have the authority. They are in control. On his shoulders, the son who is given, the child that is born, bears on his shoulders the rule the reign, the sign, the signet of the authority of God Almighty. You say, how can he do that? Because he's Emmanuel. That's what Isaiah has already told us. It's God with us. Why? Because the child is not just a son, the child is what did we just sing? Son of God and son of man. He bears the government, the rule, the empire, the kingdom of God is upon the shoulders of this child. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Always. Always. He was before he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He is as he ministers here upon the earth. He is as he carries that cross down the street of Jerusalem. He is as he hangs from it on Golgotha. He is when he rises Raises from the grave, he is when he ascends into heaven, and he is now, and he will forever and ever and ever and ever bear the sign because he is God. All the rule, all the power, all the dominion, the empire. The true empire, the empire that will never fade away, is upon the shoulders of this child. That's why those wise men come. That's why God brings them. That's why they present their gifts. Because they see him as the one who is the king. The one who rules, the one who reigns. So what is that rule of Christ like? Well, keep your finger here at Isaiah chapter 9. Go with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. We're in the midst in Thursday morning of studying, going through the book of of Matthew. We're in chapter 5 right now. And one of the things that keeps coming back is that Matthew is presenting to us the one who is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9. It is Matthew's desire to show to the Jews of his day, to you and I today, that Christ is the king so when we come to the last thing that Matthew is going to tell us the last thing after spending 28 chapters telling us about the life of Jesus Christ showing us that that life of Christ is a life of rule a life of authority a life of dominion he ends with these words And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What is the rule of Christ like? We're going to list six things. One, the rule of Christ has authority. It has authority. All authority has been given unto me. Even the people that we meet in the Gospel of Matthew, are astounded by the authority of Jesus because he teaches not like one of their leaders. It comes with authority. Secondly, the rule of Christ not only has that authority in how he speaks, but in its power. He's not just talking the game. He's demonstrating the power. Matthew concentrates on how it is that Jesus' power is displayed. Displayed over nature, displayed over diseases, displayed over demons, displayed over death, displayed over the grave, displayed over hell and Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. Who has the authority to do that? The one who has been given all authority can say to Satan, Get thee behind me. See, the rule of Christ, the rule of this child, the rule of this son, the rule of this promised Savior, the rule of this promised Messiah is a rule of all authority. It's a rule of all power. Everything has to submit to the rule of Christ. That's why we read Psalm 2. That's why it's so ridiculous that the nations of the world would throw off the rule of Christ. That's why nation after nation in this world that throws off Christ, that seeks to find its own way, make its own rules, God just sits in heaven and laughs, you fools! You're fools. For unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. It has authority, it has power and it is complete. Notice Jesus' words. First word. Verse 18. All Authority, not some authority, not partial authority, not negotiated authority, not some reserved authority. All authority belongs to this king. All authority. What an amazing thing. That's why he can say to a disease, Leave. It's why he can say to blindness, be gone. That's why he can say to a a dead Lazarus, come forth. That's why he can say to a tempter, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's why he can say, to your sin, and to your guilt. It's over. Because of me. Because he has that total, complete authority. Fourth. But that authority, <laughs> it's not the authority of this world. It's not that kind of authority that we see in the dictators of this world world. It's not the authority of a pharaoh drowning baby boys in the Nile. It's not the authority of Roman emperors making sport of Christians. It's not the authority of an Ahaz saying, let's bar up the temple and let's build us some Baal shrines. It's not the cruel dictator of an Adolf Hitler, or of a Joseph Stalin, or take any you want. Now, Jesus told us what his rule is like. Matthew told us. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. What is this rule of Christ like? Wait until the pages stop. Go to verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We we just had Thursday morning the the request of the people of Israel to King Rehoboam (laughs) please, please lighten the taxes. Your father Solomon taxed us so hard and we were enslaved to him. Please, please, please lighten things. Rehoboam, in all of his arrogance, says, not going to happen. I'm going to make it even worse. Is that the kind of rule of kingship that Jesus has? Listen. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's the rule of Christ. Not the rule of a mean dictator of this world. But the rule of a humble servant. Take my yoke upon you. Come, come. That hymn we we just sang before before the message. Oh, how blessed the nation that has Christ as king. Oh, how blessed the city that has Christ as king. Oh, how blessed the family that has Christ the king. Oh, how blessed the individual human heart that knows Christ as king for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The rule of Christ, the rule of the son, the rule of the child, the rule of the one who has the sign and seal of the authority upon him. And you say, but I don't see that, pastor. Now, oftentimes it's hidden. Oftentimes it is hidden. But the Bible tells us it's going to be seen. The Bible tells us clearly whether you read Revelation, whether you read Thessalonians, there is coming a day when that authority of Christ shall be clearly seen. When all men shall know. Even those long since dead, they shall know. When they hear that trumpet sound, And the Lord himself descends with the shout of the archangel. Here is your king. And men call upon the mountains to fall upon them. And hide them. For they have been in rebellion their entire lives against him. But to those who have believed. To those who have confessed. I believe. That to us a child is given. I believe that to us a son is born. And I believe that upon his shoulders. is all rule and all authority. He will say, come. Come near, ye blessed. It will be seen. Every eye shall behold him. Every tongue will need to acknowledge him. But for now, what about now, Pastor? What about now? Where humble hearts receive him still, Christ is the ruler yet. Do you see him? Do you see the rule? In your own heart? Do you see his rule governing here? Look around you. For you see, it's not that we are without evidence of the rule of Christ. We just have to have the eyes to see and we need the ears to hear. God is the ruler yet. Oh, I know the voices, the voices of rebellion sound so loud. But you and I see Because we see it through Psalm 2. We see it through Psalm 110. We see it through Isaiah 9, 6. We see it in the manger of Bethlehem. The reality of the fact that Jesus Christ has been born is the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ rules. And as Handel put it, Forever and ever and ever and ever. Perhaps you've never acknowledged that role of Christ in your heart and in your life. This is God's message for you. Come. Perhaps you're despondent. Perhaps you're angry over the situation that you see in the world. Your king says, come. Come. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Glory. Glory, glory, sing the angels to the newborn king. And God's people say, amen.